we've been in a series talking about parables, and we've been talking about how parables are things like, kind of like parallel lines, that stories that line up against a truth about God or about the kingdom of God or about heaven that Jesus shared so that we would begin to understand something about heaven that maybe we didn't understand about heaven. And sometimes he told parables or stories so that only specific people would understand them. And sometimes he told them so that folks like me who can't get things the first time would have a visual illustration so that we can kind of get what Jesus is talking about. So we've been in this crazy series about parables. And if you're just visiting with us or you just got drug here today, I'm so glad you're here because today's gonna be one of the days where we talk about one of the things that we really believe at our core as followers of Jesus. But I'm gonna be honest, we don't always do it very well. Now, for some of you, maybe you came to church for a while and you checked out church and you're like, man, I like what this guy's saying. And then you hung out with people from church and you're like, they're not very much like what this guy said. And you felt that tension or that pressure and, and you were like, something got disconnected. It's probably because somewhere along the line, someone who's a follower of Jesus didn't get this piece into their life, and because they didn't get it into their life, almost like a sickness, it just contaminated other things, and you saw it from the outside, and you went, whoa, and so I'm really glad you're here. If you've been checking things out for a while, I think today will answer some of that. For some of you who have been coming to church for a long, long time, you're going to hear this, and you're going to go, yeah, 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 I got it, but I don't know if you got it, got it, because I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and I fall off the wagon on this one all the time. And so I think that this will be a help for us if we're really going to live our mission and be disciples who passionately represent Jesus in our community, we can't miss on this one. Does that make sense? So if you're a note taker, this would be a good one to take notes. I'm going to give you more notes than I normally give you. If you want to put them into your phone, I'll just believe that you're taking notes on your phone and not checking your Facebook. If you are checking your Facebook, I forgive you right now. So just do what you got to do. Um, I'm going to live this message as we go. So... So we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to forgive, because Jesus is going to get uh, asked a real powerful question here. And I was thinking about forgiveness, and I got little kids. I don't know if you got little kids, but teaching kids to forgive is an interesting experience. As a matter of fact, just this week, my two littles, I call them my littles, they're four and five, and uh, they were fighting, which means it was probably Tuesday, right? I don't know what they were fighting about. And uh, they were fighting, fighting, fighting. And, uh, and I came into the room, and Mom had already dealt with it. But one of them, I won't say which one, Mason, was just sobbing. Like, he was, like, uncontrollable tears, inconsolable, like, big crocodile tears. And I, and I asked his mom, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, Princess, what, what happened here? And she goes, well, he didn't want to say he was sorry. And I was like, okay. And she goes, so since he didn't want to say he was sorry, I made them hug. And once I made them hug, come on, guys, it was over. Like, he just, like, the biggest injustice and, like, the crocodile tears. And he was inconsolable for, I don't know, three minutes or so. And then he started, you know, playing video games or ate a cookie. He was fine. But, but I was thinking about, at a really young age, we struggle even early on to know what it means when we say, I'm sorry. What does forgiveness really demand of us? What is it, what's the difference between saying I'm sorry with just my mouth and feeling like I'm sorry? Is sorry a feeling? Is forgiveness an emotion? What is it when we know that we're sorry? I was thinking about how if I could like, I'm a visual guy. I was like, visually, how do I know when I've actually forgiven someone? Because I'm quick to say, yeah, 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 it's over, you know, whatever. But I got like this memory. Maybe you're the same. And for some reason, I can remember the thing you did that I'm upset about and then re-get upset about it after I forgave you and then just stew on that until, I don't know, I die. I'm the only one. So, so I, was, I had this visual of like saying I'm sorry. And it, it had, here's the picture. It was like, do you ever see a picture of like a knight getting knighted? And it's like I come up to you and I'm like, I forgive thee completely. Like there has to be, if there's not this emotional ceremony and we have officially gone through the apology, I'm not sure that I've really let that stuff go. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't, I'm not sure. But I wrestle with that. I wrestle with that. You know, it's funny. Um, when, because I go to church didn't necessarily make me any better at dealing with that. I still struggle the same way as I did before. I've known a lot of church folks. I'm going to tell a story, and I'm going to be careful to tell it because 
It's real people, but let me figure out how to tell it with real people. Here it is. Okay. Imagine a scenario where two families go to a church, and they're friends, and they're neighbors. In fact, they're so close neighbors, they share a fence. And one of those families gets a new dog, and that dog barks all day. Some of you are already wincing and not making eye contact, right? And so one of those neighbors says, hey, can you keep your dog from barking all day? And the other neighbor goes, I don't hear him barking all day. What are you talking about? And so the other neighbor goes, okay. And when the dog barks, just decides, I'm going to stand at the fence with my hose and just spray him until he stops barking. (laughs) Sounds reasonable. (laughs) Problem, solution, make it happen. Well, war breaks out. Between these two neighbors, they both go to church. They were both friends before this animal came into their lives. So neighbor, the sprayer neighbor, says, you know what? I'm just going to move to another place. I love this neighborhood, though, so I'm going to build a house on the other side of the neighborhood. So offended neighbor goes, you know what? I'm going to get involved in the policymakers for our neighborhood so I can make it difficult for you to build. And all of a sudden, these two people who loved Love Jesus and love loved each other have gone to war over an offense divided by a fence. And pretty soon, I don't know anything about it. I hear, oh, we can't go to church there anymore because they go to church there. Oh, we can't, we can't worship around them. I can't believe you would let people who would do that be in your and I'm I'm listening to this conversation and I'm like, where did this go? This is insane information. I get it. If it was me, I could get, but man, what happened here? A little offense turned into a little defense, became abusive over the offense, right? <laughs> Come on now. And all of a sudden, this little kernel of, I'll never forgive that. Two families just ripped apart in, from, from relationship to non-relationship. And you're laughing with me because you're like, oh, come on, that's like little. But you're also kind of not laughing because you're like, yeah, that would be driving me crazy, <laughs> right? And you know in your story, however your story goes, there's been instances where you've had offense, where you've been an offender, where you've had perceived offense. Sometimes you've been grievously offended. And here's Jesus, committed to two things making sure that we love God with all our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor like ourselves. Taking all of the law and the prophets and saying it's hung on these two things. What's amazing to me is Jesus looked at this system, this system of how to do church, this temple system of bringing sacrifices and offerings and and making things right between you and God, and said, you know what I'm going to take care of for all of you? I'm going to take care of the making it right between you and God. I'm going to solve that problem for you because you can't solve that problem. You know what part I'm going to leave for you to solve? You make it right between you and your neighbor. That was the huge paradigm shift that after Jesus' death and resurrection literally changed the culture of the Roman world, the known world, the entire world is that this radical group of believers not only believed that they could be okay with God without having to go through some uh, uh, systematic process of redemption, they simply could receive this free gift from God. And not only did they receive that, they were then bound. They were expected that because of what they had received to go ahead and impart that freedom on others who had at some points horribly offended and wronged them. And that changed the world. And it all comes back to this story. Jesus breaks it open for us here in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, jump in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get us there. Um, as you're getting there, i got to just define what forgiveness is. I'll put it on the screen for you. So what is forgiveness? It's the decision to release the person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me. So you did something, and it injured me physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, psychologically. You did something, and I have to carry that because you did that. But I'm going to make a decision to release you from the debt that you owe me. 
for doing that. That's forgiveness. Now, some of you are like, dang it, why did I come today? I warned you. I warned you. I told you we're going big. I set you up. So you can be mad at me. You got your phones out already. Just put your earbuds in. What is forgiveness? Let's, uh, let's just break it down. I pay for the injury that was made to me. That's forgiveness. I'm going to give you um, a, a little whirlwind tour here in just a minute. But, but let's agree on one thing first. All of us were or are in need of forgiveness. And so this isn't an unknown quantity for us. You and I recognize that you and I are not perfect, okay? Some of us are closer than others, but none of us are there. What? Who's that? All right. And so if you go to like, like Romans chapter 3, Paul just breaks it down for us, and, he's, and I'm going to give you a cool version of it because it sounds good. In the Living Bible, it just says, yes, all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious ideal, yet now God declares us what? Not guilty. Let's hold on to that for a second. Yet now God declares us what? Remember when I just told you forgiveness was saying, you're not guilty, I'm not gonna, you don't owe me for what you did. Okay, yet God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. Now, all of us who are believers stake our faith on this truth that I'm not held accountable. That's a miraculous thing for all of the mistakes. But instead, what Jesus accomplished by conquering the grave was he took his line of credit and he took my debits and he applied his line of credit and evaporated and erased my debits. And now not only do I not have my debit, I actually have his line of credit in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God. That's amazing. And we all revel in that truth and understand that truth. Now, it's hard sometimes to get our minds around it, and some of us struggle with it, but it is the fundamental principle of what Jesus accomplished for us. He paid the price for us. We just say nothing but the blood. That's what could take away my sins. So we understand that that was important. Let's also understand that the scriptures expect us to, in kind, do that for others. Mark uh, eleven twenty five says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. I was going to let you wrestle with that without breaking that down. Just wrestle that. I didn't make that up. It's in there. <laughs> Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Matthew 5.7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are you when you don't pay someone back what they deserve because you are treated that way. Pretty good. Here's the problem. Most good stories involve revenge. We feed on revenge. Something about a good revenge story just restores the joy of my soul right? I love hearing about you wronged me, and then I went on a quest, and I re-wronged you back, and I wiped all of you out, and by the end of the movie, I'm standing on a pile of rubble, and everything is just defeated, right? We, mm, it feeds us. It feeds our flesh to experience that. You tell me a great movie that doesn't have some angle of revenge in there, and, and I mean, it just, it sells. Some of us kind of, uh, we wear that as a badge of honor. We say, oh, you, you just don't know the McDonald family. We just, no one gets over on us. That's just the way we is, right? We get back at, at folks. Or, or, or you know what? Uh, the, maybe we go culturally, you know, us Puerto Ricans, man. We, we love everyone, but you wrong us, and we're coming for you, right? Or, or, or whatever it is. You know, Irish folks, we, you know, no, we've been, we've been, people have been attacking us for centuries, and now it's time to get, you know, whatever it is. We wear that like a badge of honor. You know what it is? It's we humans. We humans love a good revenge story. Our nature desires that. And so we even more love when we deserve it and we don't get it. It's part of why the gospel is so amazing. But it's really hard to take that and turn it around and point it at somebody else. Because we love a good revenge story. A good redemption story is awesome too. But revenge is really juicy. And here's Jesus saying that your mercy account will never run out if you're merciful. What an amazing promise that is. 
You be merciful, and your mercy account will never run out. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here's the thing. If you're not guilty, you don't need mercy, right? You need justice. If someone wrongs you, someone ever told a lie about you, maybe at work, they told a lie about you, and you're like, oh, that's wrong. But you don't need mercy. That's going to come out. The truth comes out, and then they look ridiculous, and you're like, yeah. Someone ever tell the truth about you that you didn't want them to tell? That one hurts. That's when you understand what mercy is about. Not when someone tells a lie about you. It's when someone tells the truth about you and it comes out that mercy comes into place. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. So I'm going to get us to Matthew 18 here. And I got to set up what's happening. Jesus is on the move. He's walking with his disciples, so he's talking to his closest crew. They've been arguing on the road about who, who's great, who's awesome, who's the most awesome. This comes up a lot in circles of believers. Sometimes it's not spoken, but we're thinking it. Who's the most awesome? Who does God love the most? He got this gift of being able to speak. He got this gift of being able to sing. He got this gift of being administrative. He could hit a golf ball 300 yards and in the fairway. Like, who does God love the most? How come, who did he bless the most, right? I don't know what it, how, how we get there, but we think that way. And the disciples are thinking that way. They've experienced some power that Jesus has un, uh, unleashed, and they've been able to, to uh, partner with him to experience miracles. And they're starting to feel pretty good about themselves. But it's clear that Jesus, you know, that in the group, Peter is kind of a spokesperson, and Jesus is particularly close with James and John. And they're thinking that on some level, in some way, eventually some kind of kingdom, whether in heaven or earth, is going to be set up. And they're wondering, is this going to be a round table, and everything's going to be equal? There's going to be a long rectangle, and we're going to be trying to see who's closest to Jesus. How's this thing going to look in heaven, Jesus? How do I know if I'm great? I told you people ask Jesus ridiculous questions all the time. This is an interesting one. I could go either way with it. I'd probably want to know. How am I doing, Jesus? Is this working out okay? He looks at him, and he's like, oh, here we go. I added that. That's not in there. Um, I'm in the beginning of Matthew 18. Don't worry. I'll get to 21 here in a second. And, uh, and he, he looks at them, and he, he, he grabs a kid, and he's like, you've got to become like a child if you really want to be great. That innocence, that first love, that faith that God can do anything, that's how I measure greatness. That kind of blows them away a little bit. Then he does his millstone speech, and he's like, and if you cause someone to stumble, especially who's innocent or childlike, it's better if there was a rock thrown around your neck and you were thrown into the water. They're like, whoa, back up. Then he goes on, and he's like, and if you have a problem with your brother, now it doesn't mean physical brother, it just means your fellow disciple. He's like, you got to go to him and deal with it. And if he doesn't want to deal with it, then you grab an elder and you go deal with it. And if then they don't want to deal with it, you bring the body of Christ together and you deal with it. He's like, you don't gossip. You don't poison them behind their back. You go to them and you deal with it. And then if you've done everything that you can control to deal with it and it's still like irreconcilable, then you change the nature of that relationship. That's the conversation that's been happening when Peter goes, uh, Jesus, how many times do I got to do that mess with somebody? Because that sounds like a lot of work. Now, some of you are thinking about times that you've had to forgive. And so Peter, who I love because he says the thing I'm thinking, goes to Jesus, verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18. He says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven times. Some of you, I mentioned forgiveness and repeat offender, and you've gone to just a dark place. You've already checked out on me. I'm telling you, Jesus goes there, and he says, not just once, over and over again, forgiveness is an ongoing process. And then I told you a parable tells us a truth about what the kingdom of heaven's like. And so he's going to tell us a parable so we understand this principle in what it's like in heaven. Verse 23 says, therefore... The kingdom of heaven, you know, I couldn't make it any clearer, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. I got to pause right there. So 
how far do I want to go with this? You've probably heard 10,000 talents was like millions of dollars or something like that. You might even look at the bottom of your Bible and it might say that. Um, 10,000 talents. Let me give it to you in terms of time, okay? A denarii or a denarius was the equivalent of a day's wage. A talent was 6,000 days' wage, okay? 10,000 talents was a lot of money, okay? This is way more excessive than you think. If you think in terms of time and not money, how long it would take to earn this money is insane, let alone to spend or then re-earn it to pay off the debt. Here's what Jesus is trying to paint a picture of. This is an insurmountable and ridiculous debt that this person owes, okay? You have to catch that. Because if you think it's just a large debt, then you don't have a good picture of what Jesus is communicating to his audience. He is saying this man owes a debt that is bigger than any human in his position could ever hope to repay. Think billions, not millions, and that gets your mind in the right place. Could you imagine a scenario where you somehow owe someone billions of dollars? I can't even get a good scenario of how I could do that. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I, I, can't, I tried to give an example. I was trying to think of an example, and I couldn't think of a way that Pastor Mike could incur a multi-billion dollar debt. But that's what's going on. Now, you got to understand this is a servant. In those times, a servant would be expected to earn in a day how much? A denarius. A denarius was the equivalent of one day's wage. One talent, 6,000 denarii. Just going with it. Verse 25, since he was unable to pay, duh, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Culturally, that was normal. Basically, your family incurred a debt, your, the dad incurred a debt, the whole family's on the hook, and now they are just property. That was how they solved debts then. Verse 26, it says, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. Think about that. Your family's on the line. What would you do? I'll do anything. But he makes a bold statement there. He says, I'll pay back everything. We're talking about an insurmountable debt. But his family is on the line. Verse 27 says, the servant master's, servant's master took pity on him. Catch this. Canceled the debt and let him go. If you don't have a picture of the time it would take to pay that debt off, then you have no picture of what an amazing and beautiful picture it is for a master to say, don't worry about it. I know you can't do that. I know you're not capable of making this right. I know you need my resources in order to make this right, and I'll do that for you. That's amazing. That's what the kingdom of heaven's like. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, here's my problem. I always read denarii as dollar. And I'm like, you only owed him 100 bucks. No, no, no. Denarii is a day's wages. So 100 denarii is about a third of a year, give or take, of income. So think about what you make in a year. And a third of that is a decent debt. Now, it's not b billions. If it is, then we need to talk afterwards. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. But... It's a big debt. It's a legit number, right? A third of my yearly wages, it's a pretty big number. And it says he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Just get that picture. Moments ago, I'm on my knees. Please have mercy on me. I walk from that experience, fresh in my life, to someone who owes me now. And they're having that experience before me. Give me mercy. And my move is, I won't grab you. <laughs> my move is to put the choke on him. I'm rear naked choking this guy. I'm like, tap out or pay up. As he grabbed him and began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Fire. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told the master everything that had happened. 
So then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Now catch this, verse 35. I'm not making this up. This is how the heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now listen, these are Jesus' words, so I'm not gonna feel like I need to somehow justify them. I just want you to hear how he describes the pressure and importance of us relieving people of the debt they owe us when they've wronged us. That's heavy. That's heavy. When there was forgiveness, there was hope. But when forgiveness was gone, hope was also gone. Remember, we said that forgiveness was the decision to release the person from the obligation that resulted when they injured me. So I want to talk for you, with you for just a minute a little bit about forgiveness, because I think we got to break it down a little bit more than this. I'm going to be, full disclosure, this isn't all my original stuff. I, I stole the best of stuff about forgiveness I could find and uh, put it together and chewed it up like a mama bird, and I'm spitting it out for you. And, uh, and I just want you to catch, because I think it's incredibly important that we take a good look at what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not, because I'm not sure we know. And it's so important that Jesus literally says, if you miss this, if you miss this and you are unwilling to forgive from your heart, there's hell to pay. So we better know what forgiveness is. So let's talk a little bit because some of you are mad at me right now and that's okay. It's okay. We're going to walk through this moment and hopefully you'll forgive me, but we'll get there. Forgiveness is, if you're a note taker, this would be good stuff for you to write down. I'm just saying. Forgiveness is, first thing, canceling a debt that's owed to you. We talked a little bit about that. How about this? If you grew up in church, you learned the Lord's Prayer. And you've been saying the Lord's Prayer at some regular intervals for a long time in your life. And somewhere in that Lord's Prayer, there's this whole thing about forgive us our debtors as we forgive who? Our debts as we forgive our debtors? Yeah. Our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. I don't know what version you learned it in. And you have understood that when Jesus says, this is how you should pray, that in the midst of that, accepting God's forgiveness and passing that on was integral to your relationship with Jesus, to your relationship with the Father. You knew that was there. But you glossed over that part and got straight to give us our daily bread. I need some stuff. Hook a brother up. But the scriptures are clear that forgiveness involves forgiving the debt. It's like, hey, you owe me. You owe me. I'm not coming collecting. I'm not going to carry that anymore. You don't owe me. Canceling a debt that's owed to you. Second thing forgiveness is, I'm going to give you five things forgiveness is. It's removing the control that someone has over you. This is starting to sound a little better, huh? You know what happens when you haven't forgiven someone? You know what gets in you? Starts off as anger, right? You've been wronged. You know what happens to anger when it takes root in the heart? The fruit of anger is bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness dictates and controls our heart and our life. When you're angry, when you're bitter, when you can't let something good out of your heart, it will rule your heart. And who is Lord of your heart? You are. Or, even worse, they are. They got control, they got power, they got authority. You're up at night, 3 o'clock in the morning, thinking, oh, just want to see them in the front yard when I'm driving my car and I'm going to press this gas really fast. And they're in their house like, ah, sleeping like a baby. <laughs> they're sleeping like a baby. And you're at 3 o'clock in the morning with a bead of sweat. Thinking, oh, I just watched a movie and I could, I could get revenge. That's what I want to do. Oh. And forgiveness, you say, you know what? That bitterness can't work here. You don't have control in my heart anymore. I'm releasing you. I'm releasing that. It's about lordship. Who's going to be first? It hurts, but it's true. 
Number three, we've talked about this a little bit, right? It's forsaking revenge. What about justice? Um, I think it's Romans. God's like, hey, it's mine to avenge. I got this. We relax understanding that God's in control, that God is the author of justice, that he didn't actually appoint us each as our own agents of justice. And so it's not on us to go out and pay someone back. Hey, you borrowed $30 and you forgot about it. I'm taking your hat. Now you owe me 29 more dollars. <laughs> right? It's not our job. It is not our job to go and do that. It's us acknowledging that there is a father in heaven who's in control. And he's got this. And I can't live holding on to something that's got a grip in my heart that's controlling and manipulating my life. So not only am I not going to let that bitterness live here anymore, I'm not going to, come on now, I'm not going to be up at night fantasizing about how I would get even if I had the opportunity. Come on. We're being real. It's church in here. I'm not going to be dreaming about what I could potentially do to get over on that person who got over on me. Don't worry, it gets a little harder before it gets better. <laughs> Number four, it's an ongoing process. Peter's like, hey, how many times, God? Seriously, Jesus, you don't know what it's like to live with Thomas. Every day he does the same thing. I don't know what it is, right? He's like, Jesus, seriously, how many times? I make light of it so we can keep talking about it when you guys aren't getting angry at me. But I understand some of you have been victims even horribly over and over again. And it's how in the world could I possibly continue to forgive? How about this? Some of you haven't even been victims over and over again. It just comes back over and over and again. It's like I dealt with it. I forgave them. I know I forgave them. I had a moment. It was there. I felt emotionally the release. I, 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 the pressure was off. I was doing good. And then I saw this show that was kind of about similar thing that I went through. And all that stuff just came back up. Do I got to forgive him again? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't understand. They're not sorry. We'll get there. It's an ongoing promise process. Last thing forgiveness is, this is, the, this is as bad as it's going to get, don't worry. <laughs> it's actually wanting God's best for them. It's actually wanting God's best for them. It's being able to say, you know what? I don't hold bitterness. I don't want revenge. God, it's up to you what you want to do. It's not on me. It's on you. But you know what I really want for them? I want God's best for them, whatever that looks like. And I may not have to engage in that picture, but I just want to leave it there. God, you're in control, and I want their, your best for them. All right, let's talk about what forgiveness is not, because this is a little easier to get through. Forgiveness is not. Some of you need to hear this because some of you are thinking about e emails you're going to write me right now. So let's get here. It's not denying that something occurred. It's not pretending like that offense didn't happen. It's not. It's not going into denial mode. We don't all of a sudden say, uh, uh, you know, it, it didn't happen. Some of you need to forgive someone and call the police. I'm just saying. It doesn't mean we don't do what is right or pretend like nothing happened. Some of you have been around someone who in your life was abusive in some way, physically, emotionally, whatever it was, and you've forgiven them, and now you got kids, and you're thinking, should I leave my kids with them? No! It's not pretending like that thing didn't happen. It's not. God never says, just act like it didn't happen. Right? That's not what it, the, the word never says that. It's somehow we calibrate, well, if you forgave me, then you'll just act like it never happened. No, it's not denying that what happened happened. What happened happened. And you should do whatever the law demands, whatever wisdom demands, whatever your instincts as a parent, as a human being demands. You should do that. 
God's not saying push all that out. Don't deny it occurred. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not, this one hurts, it's not a response to an apology. When I teach my littles how to say I'm sorry and say okay, I'm probably doing them a little bit of a disservice. I'm just trying to get quiet in my house so I can watch the game. But I'm just telling you, it's not a response to an apology. You know why? Because we get preconditioned that we can't forgive someone unless they apologize. Some of you are waiting for an apology that's never going to come. And you're hung up thinking, I need to forgive this person. I got it. As soon as they fill in the blank. If your apology can't happen, I'm sorry, if your forgiveness can't happen apart from their apology, that's not forgiveness. Some of you in your personal relationships right now, you get offended and, and, and you're just like, I don't care. Until this fool says he's sorry and owns it, I'm never letting this go. He did not take out the garbage when he said he would. No, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever it is, right? But you're waiting. Listen, can I just be real with you? Some of you, I'm in this list, so I'm going to be real, are waiting for an apology from someone who's dead. That apology is not coming. And if you let them live and be Lord of your heart and have rule over your life, you have missed it. Life is better than that. You don't need their apology to let that go. What's their apology going to do anyways? Just unleash your full venom, right? They apologize, and now it's like, perfect. I have been waiting to unload this nuclear missile of my rage, and you have officially set systems to go, <laughs> right? What is it you're trying to accomplish? Why do you need? Now, you're, some of you are like, you know, I, hey, listen, a great apology and reconciliation, that's fine. That's, I'm not diminishing. I'm just saying that's not what a, a forgiveness demands. It's not a response to an apology. Number three, it's close to number one, but I want you to catch this. It's not forgetting. It's not forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't mean I forgot about it. Doesn't mean I denied that it ever happened, but also doesn't mean I forgot about it. We get messed up on this, guys. We really do. We really get messed up on this. I said I was sorry. You said you're okay with it. How come you keep remembering? How come your brain didn't stop working? It's like, well, because I can't control my brain. You're like, well, doesn't the Bible say that God forgives and forgets? Yeah, are you God? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't forget. How can you be the omniscient creator of the universe and forget? You don't know what the word forget means there. The, the, the picture of forget is I take something in, instead of receiving it, I push it away. And I receive something else. That's the picture of what that word means. And when God says he forgets, what he's literally saying, it's like a debt that you used to owe, but he applied a credit to it. So that debt is gone, and now he just sees that credit. Come on now. It doesn't mean he doesn't know something. Stop smalling up, my God. You shrink up how amazing his grace is if you think he's like a forgetful, easy-to-manipulate being. I had that picture when I was young, right? God just forgot. <laughs> it's easy. Made life easy, right? God, remember what I just did? No, you don't. That's <laughs> what it says in your word. <laughs> I know I make light of it, but I want you to get it. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Some of you are in relationships with someone, and you still love them, and you're still in a relationship with them, whatever the capacity is, parent, friend, husband, wife, whatever it is, and they've done some things. Every once in a while, it stirs in you, and you have an emotional reaction. And they're like, what? And you're like, I'm feeling it. Why do you remember this? And then they're mad at you for remembering that they were a knucklehead at one point. It's like, just relax. It's going to take 70 times 7. I have to go through this process again. I'm going to have to get over there. Today's just going to be a day where I process this, Okay. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I haven't forgiven you. But my brain and my soul and my body and my heart, I just can't forget that the way you think I should be able to forget that. So stop expecting that out of me. Doesn't mean forget. Doesn't. Doesn't mean I forget. What's next? Number four? <laughs> this one's good. It doesn't mean a full return to trust. 
Some of you have experienced, I'm just going to call it manipulation. And someone has said, well, you should trust me. I'd never do that again. Uh, so you did do it. So we're going to go on this journey towards trust, but you get to start at zero now. And if you ever make it to like a half, that's going to be a miracle. <laughs> you were at like a 10, but we'll see how this thing goes. That doesn't mean I put you through hoops and I manipulate you and I'm cruel and I'm punishing you. It just means you don't get to start with the trust that you lost when you behaved the way you did. I'm not ignorant. The scriptures say, love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to be wise. Trust is going to be a process. You may never restore that trust. Doesn't mean I'm holding, holding in pain. It just means I've learned that you're not trustworthy. Some of you are confused. <laughs> you're like, whoa, that's a whole different thing to think about. Doesn't mean a return to trust. Trust is gained slowly and lost quickly. Last thing, and then I'll break us out of some of this pain here. Doesn't mean reconciliation. It doesn't. Forgiveness hasn't only happened when we're hugging it out. Right? That's not the only picture of forgiveness. It takes two people to reconcile. And as much as you may want to, you may never reconcile. Some of you have been the offender and this is haunting you because you just want to reconcile. But forgiveness doesn't demand reconciliation. Reconciliation is a process. Two hearts hit on the same stroke and God brings you back together and starts a process. And that may never happen. That doesn't mean you get to hold an offense in because you've never reconciled. Some of you, some of us, have been the offender and then we got mad because they wouldn't reconcile, and now we're the offended. And now we got bitterness in our heart, and we're holding on to something. We're just holding on to the fact that they wouldn't accept our apology to the level we wanted them to accept it to. And now we're holding it, and we're up at night, beat a sweat, thinking, how could they not? I'm going to come up for air for a little bit here in just a second, but don't worry. Jesus, as he went to the cross in Luke chapter 23, it said when he came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. In the midst of this incredible crisis, he called on the strength of his father and said, hey, God, you know what he didn't? He didn't look down and say, I forgive you and you and you and you and you and you and ah, you. And like none of that went down. He just said, God. This is bigger. It's huge. Would you forgive them? They know not what they do. He called on the strength of his father to get there. If you're holding on to things, we'll never be free. It blows me away, this harsh reality that I still deal with forgiveness with people who aren't here. There are multiple people who are in the grave that I got to process forgiveness still. My biological dad, I mean, he bounced out when I was five. Kidnapped me. I guess I wasn't that much fun. I shared the story a little bit. I guess a five-year-old wasn't as much fun as you thought if you hadn't spent any time with a five-year-old in your life and then you snag one. It's kind of like, oh. So he just dropped me off a few days later and then that was it. Never saw him again. Didn't know a thing about him until I found out he died. But I can remember being in my 20s and being angry. I love the Lord, but I'm angry. I'm angry at all dads just in principle. I'm angry if you did it right because I'm jealous that I didn't have one. I'm angry if you did it wrong because it just proves my point that there were no good dads. I'm just angry. I don't even know I'm angry. I just am. It's just surfacing up in me. And I can remember being in a moment with some worship and some stuff going on and someone tapping me on the shoulder. I'm supposed to be in charge. I'm in my 20s. I'm like running a youth program. And them saying, hey, Mike, is there, is there something you need to deal with here? And I was like, yeah, this kid's talking and that one's not paying attention. And that one went to the bathroom at least seven minutes ago. So if they're not dying in there, they need to get back. I'm in charge, right? And he's like, no, 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 for you. I was like, what are you talking about? It's, it's, you just 
very kindly just said, you know, I just feel like you're there's something there. Are you are you mad? Well, no, no, yeah. Really? I feel like you're holding on to something. And then it just hits like a ton of bricks. I'm like, no, uh, uh-uh, we're not dealing with this today. Uh-uh-uh. You bring this up and like that's unleashing the lion, right? There are way too many nights of pain that I have processed. There is layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And I have like a suit of armor of hate and anger in there. So don't you poke at that because you'll get the bear. And he said, hey, it's okay. I just feel like maybe today is your day to deal with that. I'm like 23 years old. I haven't seen this man since I was five. (laughs) And I just sense... This is when I learned that forgiveness didn't require reconciliation. This is when I learned that forgiveness was a, wasn't about what the other person did or didn't do or said or didn't say from this point forward. Forgiveness was about what real estate I gave up in my heart. And I had to go down to the altar. I had to cry like a baby. And I just had to say, God, I don't know how to do this. But I know that this thing's not healthy. And it's not healthy because I'm mad. It's not healthy because I feel betrayed. It's not healthy because I feel ripped off. It's not healthy because of all of these things. But I can't hold that anymore and be who you've called me to be, be free. And you're not Lord of my life because this thing's sitting on the throne of my heart. And some of you have a story like that. And I'm going to be honest. There's lots of reasons to not do it. Sometimes we don't do it because it's just too big. Well, you know what? The bigger it is, the more necessary it is to deal with it. You've got a big, giant tumor. You should probably deal with it. Sometimes we think, well, it's just not time yet to deal with this thing. Time heals all wounds. Uh, How's that working out for you? Dr. Phil, you for a second. How's that working out? Time has made that wound go away. Time has been the solve. I don't know about you, but time solved nothing for me. Time just insulated me and made me stronger and madder and more powerful. (laughs) Some of you are still waiting for an apology. I know what that's like. They owe me. Until I hear, I need an explanation. I need to know that they feel it. I need to know that justice has been served. Okay. You can let them live in your heart while you wait for that. Or you can trust that the creator of the universe has got this. That he is the author of justice. And he is the one who will take care of that. It's up to you. Why should we do it? Well, you know, because unforgiveness creates a huge wave of fallout for everyone in our life. Look at this story. Everyone this man's connected to gets affected. His friends get connected. His family gets affected. Everyone gets affected. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, it is like a tidal wave. It is a crushing blow to people who are in your wake. You may not even realize it. Some of you have a spouse that is carrying the weight of your unforgiveness. You have a parent who is carrying the weight of your unforgiveness. You have a friend who you have been dumping and unloading your pain and unforgiveness. Now they're carrying your weight and others have been affected. Your kids are carrying the weight of your unforgiveness forgiveness and you're like oh it's just me and my thing like well your thing is toxic to every single person that comes into your circle that's why jesus used such strong language some of us think it's going to happen in a moment and it's not going to happen in a moment it's going to be a process sometimes it's going to take 70 times seven times but maybe today is a time when we start let me give you one more piece, and then we're just going to get real in here for a second. I read to you from the Beatitudes earlier, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, and uh, it said, Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. And I talked about your mercy account is connected to your mercy giving, right? As long as you keep giving mercy, you'll never run out in your account. But look at the next verse. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Here's what blew my mind as I was studying for this. 
Blessed are the pure in heart. So we talked about when, when you get unforgiveness, it gets in your heart and it corrupts your heart and then bitterness gets in your heart and then you don't have a pure heart anymore because you're holding on to something where? In your heart. Where does Jesus say you need to deal with forgiveness? Here, in your heart. Why is this so critical? Because your pureness of your heart is connected to your interaction with the power of God. You want to see more God in your life? How come I'm not seeing God's hand in my life? How come I'm not seeing more of God move in my life? How come I'm not seeing this? And, and, and Jesus is saying right from the beginning, it's connected to the purity of your heart. Are you holding on to some things in your heart and all of a sudden the power and presence of God's just miraculous everything. It's just mm, stifled. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Some of you, some of us, have limited the scope of seeing what God can do in our lives because this thing damaged. And Jesus is like, I want that thing that's holding you back. I want it. And you've been thinking, nah, Pastor Mike, you better knock it off because it's going to hurt. And I want to deal. You're going to unhook the horses and they're going to run. Okay? Let's see what they do. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be honest. For some of you, today's your moment. Like I had to have a moment, and you're going to deal with some unforgiveness in this place, and we're going to, it's going to get messy, and then some of you are going to just run out the door and never come back, and that's okay. I still love you. When you deal with it, come back and we'll talk. So if you look in the chair in front of you, there's going to be a little piece of paper, and you can grab it. I'll grab one. Yeah, it's a little strip of paper. It just says paid in full. That's all it says on there. It's not fancy. It's not anything special except for it's just your slate. And there's pens around. And these guys are going to begin to just lift their voice in song. And here's what I want you to do. You don't have to write your name on there anywhere. You don't have to write anybody's name on there anywhere because I'm not, I'm not pulling that out of you. That's not what I'm looking for. This is between you and the Lord. Some of you just need to, in a physical way, deal. I had to come forward be honest, okay? Some of you are going to have to come forward and be honest. I'm just telling you. But here's what I would like for you to do. They're going to begin to sing this song, and as they do, I want you to just take a moment, and I want you to listen to God, and you're still a small voice, and if there's something that's there, that's been living in your heart, that you haven't been able to let go of, and as a part of your process, 70 times 7, today might just be part of, maybe you've dealt with it before, but it's there again as we're talking, and it's up again, you need to deal with it. Maybe you've never peeled the lid off this thing before. And it's time for you to write that down, and we're going to deal with it. So, so here's what I would like for you to do. I'm gonna, the lights are going to come down. Worship's going to begin to happen. And I just want you to th- hear from the Lord and begin to write that. And once you've written it down, I want you to stand. And that way I know that you're, you're there, that you've written down. If you don't have anything to write down, that's cool. Just stand whenever you're ready to, to, to stand. But I, but I would like for you to do that. So just take a moment. Jesus, do what you do. Holy Spirit, do what you do. And just surface what you need to surface. And then we're going to write it down, and we're going to deal with it today. Hallelujah.